Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Ah, well, we've been on a bit of a, a bit of a ride over the last four or five Sundays. In fact, for me, it's, it's almost been since lockdown uh, finished. Actually, if you're a guest with us this morning, let me just fill you in on some details so that we're all on the same page. But uh, I stood up here about a month ago, just as we were entering into a church fast, which ran for seven days. And that church fast was awesome. Who got something out of the church fast? Like the church fast, even on Friday night, we went out for dinner with a couple from here in church, and they were talking about the fast. And I said, oh, did you, did you guys do the fast too? They said, yeah. I said, how many, how many days? I'm nosy. How many days did you do? They said, we did the full seven. Anytime anyone says they did the full seven, it blows my mind. Blows my mind. They said, you know, and since the fast, Josh, we are reading our Bible more. We are praying together more. It's, it's just awesome what God is doing. The testimonies that have come out of the fast are just fantastic. So I have had so many people, excuse me, say we have to do that again. We have to do, you know, more church fasts. So I'm like... Yay! <laughs> yes, absolutely, 100% agree. And then after the church fast, we had uh, a guy called Christy Ath come in, and, and he ministered. And then last Sunday, we had Pastor Ian Wright from Invercargill come in, and he did some ministry as well. And so about four weeks ago, you might remember, I stood up and I said, we've got the fast, we've got Chris, we've got Ian, and then the Sunday after that, I don't know what we're going to do. Do you remember I said that? I might have made some smart-alecky comment like, we'll let future Josh worry about that. Well, future Josh is here, and he hates past Josh, because past Josh always says stupid stuff like that, and leaves future Josh with, you know, not much to do. What I want to do this morning, just very briefly, because, you know, time's getting on, uh, before we start something new, which we will do before the end of the year, we've got something new that we're thinking of, of doing, uh, around the armor of God, and just learning how to um, you know, protect ourselves against what the enemy's doing, and, and what all that stuff kind of looks like, which we will probably do uh, over six weeks or so before Christmas. But just this morning and next Sunday, what I wanted to do is just really push pause for a moment, just take a breath, and just kind of have a quick look at where we are and where we're going. I think that one of the, one of the positive things to come out of the lockdown, and I know that there were a lot of negative things that came out of the lockdown. But one of the positive things was for a lot of people, not everybody, not essential workers, certainly not pastors, but for a lot of people, it was an opportunity. It was just an enforced rest, right? There was just not a lot that you could do because you were stuck at home. And I know so many people that after lockdown or even during lockdown, they were able to almost get off the treadmill of life long enough to make some life-changing decisions. I know people that have changed churches. I know people that have changed careers. I know people that have geographically moved location. And it's all because they got off the treadmill long enough to kind of take a breath and reevaluate where life is at. Because sometimes we get so busy just working, 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 come home, make dinner, you know, watch TV, get to bed, get up, work, 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 and just time goes by. And you can do that in a church sense as well. Churches can get kind of on the church treadmill where it's just you're moving from one conference to the next thing, to the next event, to the next study, to the next series. And so it's important every now and again to just stop and go, okay, where are we at, guys? Where are we at? So uh, we had the fast. That was awesome. 
you know, Chris came in and he made that comment, you know, the increase is coming, the covenant has been established, which I unpacked during worship. Last Sunday after Ian was here, we went out for lunch, Liz and I and, and Ian. Uh, and as the pastor, like I love bringing people in, I love being ministered to by different people. But one of the coolest things about having a guest minister come in is being able to sit down afterwards and say, hey, what did you think? What were you picking up in the atmosphere? What did you feel about church? What is God saying to you about Activate? Uh, And so we sat down to have lunch, and I asked him that question. What did you think, man? He was so complimentary. In fact, both Chris and Ian were like, you have got something special happening in this place. Um, You know, Chris made the comment. He said, I have not been in a church service where I have felt the Holy Spirit so strongly for a long time, like a long time. We went out with Ian, and I said to him, what do you think? And he made this statement. I wrote it down. He said, I believe you're at the start of a significant move of God. That was, Ian has been around for decades. There is not much that Ian hasn't seen. Uh, And Ian said, I believe you're at the start of a significant move of God. And so then we started talking about different things, and this word revival kept popping up. And... You know, during the week, Liz and I were talking about it, and Liz said, what is revival anyway? Like, what is it? Like, how do you measure revival? At what point does a really good Sunday become like a revival Sunday? Like, where's the line? Is it that you have to have four or five Sundays in a row with people falling over, and then once you get to number six, whoop, we've hit revival you know, how does, how does it actually work? And I said, well, I don't know what revival is either, actually. Uh, in fact, the word revival, it kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Because in my mind, revival is like this thing that changes the world. Like you had the Welsh revival, you had Pensacola revival, and the whole world knows about it. To me, revival is this huge thing. And I was like, well, it seems kind of presumptuous for us to be like, well, we've got a revival happening in Activate Christchurch. But then I looked it up in the dictionary. And when I looked it up in the dictionary, it made me laugh because the Cambridge Dictionary defines revival like this. Now, I've screenshotted my laptop. Now, let's just make one thing clear. For some reason, Cambridge Dictionary thinks all I want to do is buy dog food for a dog. There's ads everywhere. I don't even own a dog. And if I did have a dog, it would not be a little dog. It's not be the sort of dog that you step on because you don't know that it's there, right? So ignore that. But look at what it says here. Revival is the process of becoming more active. How cool is that? Like I laughed out loud. when it, the, Like our church is called Activate. If you look at the sign in the foyer as you walk in, it literally says Activate, to make active. That's what we're about. We're about making people active. And revival is the process of, of doing that. So I am comfortable for anyone in this place to say we are in revival at Activate Christchurch because we are in this process. But I don't want to ever hear anyone say revival has finished at Activate because this process never ends. So from now on, we are in revival at Activate and we will be in revival forever. Is that cool? Awesome. All I want to do this morning is I just want to share a story that I read this week because one of the things that uh, Ian challenged me on, he said, look, you need to go away and spend some time just learning about some of the revivals throughout history, just reading about some of the revivals. How did they start? Where did they come from? What was the genesis of them? Because sometimes we look at revivals like the Welsh Revival or the Pensacola Revival, and they seem, you know, they seem so huge. They seem so influential. They seem to have impacted so many people. 
And we think, well, we're just, we're just a little wee church in a little wee country right down the bottom of the world. So I want to tell you a story this morning about a guy called William J. Seymour. Who's heard of William J. Seymour? Denise has, yeah, a few of you guys have. I hadn't really heard of William J. Seymour, but I read about him this week. So this is a true story. Everything you're about to hear is factual. I haven't, sometimes I embellish my stories, but not this one. So in 1905, um, William J. Seymour was a 34-year-old, one-eyed African-American son of some former slaves. And he was working as an interim pastor at a little wee church in Topeka, Kansas. So an interim pastor is not their real pastor. So their real pastor left, and they want to get another real pastor. But in between their two real pastors, they want like an interim pastor, just kind of caretaker. So he's pastoring this little wee church in Topeka, Kansas in 1905. And towards the end of the year, uh, an African-American woman who lived in L.A. went to visit some friends of hers in the area. Her name was Neely Terry. And she decided to pop along to William's church. While she was there, she heard William preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit out of Acts chapter 2. And the fact that when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, one of the first signs biblically is that you can speak in tongues. And what impressed Neely Terry was that this guy was passionately preaching this. He was, you know, really excited about what he was saying, but he did not speak in tongues and had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We could put a pin in that right there because in life, you will very often have to make a choice between what you believe. Do you believe what the Bible says or do you believe what you are currently experiencing? You will have to make that choice over and over again. In fact, more often than not, you'll have to choose. Do I believe what I am currently experiencing or do I believe what the Bible says? The Bible says Jesus heals. My current experience is I'm not being healed. Where am I going to plant my faith seed? William decided, you know what? I believe what the Bible says. Now, in 1905, there weren't very many people that believed that the Holy Spirit would fall on you and that you could speak in tongues. He was kind of a bit of a loner. Anyway, Neely Terry says, gee, I'd love for you to come preach at my church. I really like you. And so he said, okay. And so at the start of 1906, on the 22nd of February, William turned up in Los Angeles to speak at Neely's church. Now, she wasn't the pastor. She just invited him. The pastor was a woman called Julia Hutchins, which in 1906 was crazy. Like you've got a female pastor who's invited an African-American man in with one eye to preach. It's pretty out there. And so William preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And William thought he did a pretty good job. And then he went back the next Sunday because they'd booked him in for a month. He went back the next Sunday on the 4th of March, 1906, and the church was padlocked shut because the elders of the church had a problem with William. They had a big problem with the fact that William was preaching something that he had no experience in. I read that this week, and my first thought was, ah, those naughty elders locking William out, because I know the whole story. But then I thought about it some more, and I thought, how would I have responded to that? If someone got up and preached a message, and then I found out that they had never experienced what they were preaching. I wouldn't have locked the church door That's a bit passive-aggressive. But 
I probably would have sat them down and said, hey, man, I don't, I don't know if you can be preaching this stuff. Like imagine if we had a guy come into church and he was preaching on miracles and healings and, and Jesus raising people from the dead. And then I was like, hey, tell us about a time that it's happened. And he went, oh, I've never seen it. Wouldn't we all be like, what the? Is this, like, that's, that's not okay. So there's a challenge for all of us there. I was challenged by, like, how would I handle it if someone came in, was preaching out of the Bible, no issue there, but hadn't personally seen a breakthrough in that area yet? I think sometimes as Christians, we can fall into the trap very easily of saying, no, you have to have been there, done that before I'll listen to your opinion. And yet if his opinion is biblical, if the opinion is, hey, this is what the Bible says, then maybe that needs to be all that we need. I don't know, I'm still working that out. All I know is that they locked him out of the church. So there was a guy in the church called Edward J. Lees, and he liked William. And so he said to William, look, come stay at my house. So William goes to stay at Edward's house, and word kind of gets around the church, hey, that guy that they kicked out, that they locked the door for, he's actually staying at Ed's house. So a few people in the church decided to go around to Edward's house, and a little wee Bible study kind of group started to happen. And they would meet at Edward's house, every night, and they would pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to speak in tongues. And night after night after night, they would pray this and nothing would happen. And then finally, after six weeks, so his first message was end of February, on the 9th of April, after praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, everybody left and went home, and then after they'd left, Edward started praying in tongues. Pretty cool. This is something that they had believed for, that they'd read in the Bible. No one had ever seen it before. Remember Ian said last week the first person he ever heard praying in tongues was himself? Well, it's the same for Edward. And so the next night, everybody comes back to Edward's house, and Edward and William are super excited. Edward started praying in tongues, and so they pray again, and six more people start praying in tongues, but not William. (laughs) And then on the night of April the 11th, to, uh, 1906, William stays up all night praying. And I, who can guess what he's praying? He's praying, flipping heck, God. What the? All these people, your Holy Spirit's falling on all these people. I'm the one that brought the message to the church. I'm the one that's been believing for this for who knows how many years. And flipping Edward gets the Holy Spirit before I do. And these six other people, no. So he prays all night. And then on the morning of the 12th of April, William receives the Holy Spirit and starts praying in tongues. His little wee, little wee group of people. Well, word gets around pretty quick that God is doing something really crazy in this group of people. And they start to have people from other churches and stuff coming in to their house. Their house isn't big enough, so they decide they need a building. And so they find a building in downtown L.A., And it's 18 meters long, 14 meters wide. It is 220 square meters. This room is 224. Look around. This is how big their room was. Their ceiling was only eight feet tall, which means that it would pretty much hit Dan's head. Right. If you look to the back of the room where, the, where that roof kind of cuts off, that's pretty much how high it would have been the whole way through. The rent on this building was $8 a month in 1906. 
They had to clear out all the lumber that was on the ground from when it was originally a lumber yard. They had to clean up all the plaster that was on the floor from when it was a tombstone store. They had to clear out all the gunk from when it was a warehouse, all the rubbish from when it was a stockyard. And most recently, before they bought it, it was being used as some stables. They swept it out as best they could. They just brought in a whole bunch of sawdust and just put it all over the floor. They had a massive problem because it used to be stables with flies everywhere, those big horse blowflies. The uh, pulpit that William preached from was two wooden milk crates that stood on top of each other. And most of the time, he would be on his knees with his head inside the top one, so you couldn't see him. The address of this broken down, delepid warehouse, as one of the newspapers called it at the time, was 312 Azusa Street. I want to read for you something, because there's a lot of reports from different newspapers about what happened at the time. For those of you that don't know, the Azusa Street Revival is widely considered to be the birth of Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism? Pentecost. What's the word? What's the word for that? Pentecostalism. Here's the thing. According to this is a room this size. According to reports, it was not uncommon for up to 1,500 people to turn up at a time in an effort to experience what God was doing in that place, although the core membership was never more than 50 or 60 people. Today, there are more than 500 million Pentecostal and charismatic believers across the globe. It is the fastest growing form of Christianity today, and the Azusa Street Revival is commonly regarded as the beginning of the modern-day Pentecostal movement. 50 or 60 people that were meeting in a guy's house that leased a warehouse for $8 a month. I'll get the band to jump back up. A reporter described the happenings in September 1906 like this. They cry and make howling noises all day and into the night. They run, jump, shake all over, shout to the top of their voice, spin around in circles, fall out on the sawdust-blanketed floor, jerking, kicking, and rolling all over it. Some of them pass out and do not move for hours as though they were dead. These people appear to be mad, mentally deranged, or under a spell. They claim to be filled with the Spirit. They have a one-eyed illiterate as their preacher who stays on his knees much of the time with his head hidden between the wooden milk crates. He doesn't talk very much, but at times he can be heard shouting, repent, and he is supposed to be running the thing. This is my favorite part. Here it comes. They repeatedly sing the same song. (laughs) I read... (laughs) I read that this week, and I was like, wow, 50 or 60 people that just come together in this warehouse with sawdust on the floor and blowflies. It says their worship, they never had any instruments, their worship was just a cappella, just people singing. Sometimes 
William would get up and say something, other times he wouldn't. Sometimes different people would get up and share what God was doing in their life. It was this beautiful, organic, totally disorganized, no agenda, no run sheet thing. It got to the point where they were just worshiping 24 hours a day. There were just people down there all the time. The building never shut. People would come for weeks, months, even years, and then leave. They sent out missionaries all over the world, but never grew to more than 50 or 60 people, even though there would be thousands there at a time sometimes. And when you read about what God was doing in that place, it's, it's confronting. And yet God was able to do it because they didn't judge him. They didn't say, that's not allowed. They didn't worry about how it looked to the people coming in that didn't know what was going on. They just said, hey, this is God. This is what God is doing. How often did you hear Jesus say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear? God will do things in this place and there will be some people that come in and they hear what God is doing. There's another quote uh, that someone wrote at the time when they were talking about the fact that there didn't appear to be a lot of organization. There didn't appear to be much order. And they said, for anyone with a heart to understand, it is clear that the Holy Spirit is in charge. For people without a heart to understand, it looks like a mess. It looks disorganized. It looks unstructured. It looks like, you know, you guys should be doing better. But for people with a heart to understand, it looks like the Holy Spirit is in charge. I wanted to pause this morning just to step back and say, hey, church, we want to be a church where the Holy Spirit is in charge. And if you want to be a church where the Holy Spirit is in charge, that means there's going to be things that happen that newspapers write about and make you look real weird. Let's stand to our feet this morning. You know, as that definition said, I believe that we are in revival. We are on a process of becoming more active. Like Ian said, we're at the start of a significant move of God. It's scary when you read about the Pensacola Revival, the Brownsville Revival, the Azusa Street Revival, the Welsh Revival. All of these revivals started and then finished, and they finished because humans, men, women, tried to control it. They tried to bring order. They tried, even with the best of intentions, they tried to bring a little bit more organization, a little bit more structure. And every time that man gets involved, the Holy Spirit says, all right, if you want to do it, you can do it. We can't both do it. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that, that we need to keep doing as a church and some of the things that we need to be very careful about. I'll do that next Sunday. But right now, let's just lift them up this morning. Father, we thank you that you are in this place. Lord, we thank you that you are moving in this place. Lord, we thank you that we are on a process of becoming more active. 
Lord, we're on a process of growing with you, journeying with you, maturing with you, Father. God, I pray that you would come into this house and you would do things that shake our very knowledge of you. God, I pray that we would be consistently confronted with things that we do not understand so that we are forced to come to you. Lord, continue to build on what you're doing in this place. Holy Spirit, we give you all authority. You are in charge. Have your way, Lord.